Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. All eyes turn to New York and the United Nations as world leaders gather for the opening of the United Nations General Assembly, better known, of course, as UNGA. This is always the busiest week of the diplomatic calendar, and on the line to help make sense of it all is Richard Gowan. He is a senior fellow at the UN University Center for Policy Research, and he is also a fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. But more to the point, he is a frequent guest on this very podcast. This is probably the fourth UNGA preview episode that Richard and I have recorded. And this year, like last year, much of the oxygen in Turtle Bay and beyond will be sucked up by President Donald Trump. Richard and I discuss the key moments to watch, including a scheduled Security Council meeting over which Donald Trump will preside. We also discuss some of the other events and issues that probably won't make headlines, but are nonetheless important outcomes of this year's UN summit. This includes a key high-level meeting on UN peacekeeping, which we discuss at length. We recorded this conversation on Tuesday, September 18th, exactly one week before President Trump is scheduled to address the General Assembly, and I trust that you will find this conversation a useful overview, a useful preview of what to expect in the most significant week of the UN's calendar and one of the most important few days in diplomacy every year. So here is my conversation with Richard Gowan. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm afraid that, as in 2017, there is only one real story here, and that is what President Trump will say. Uh, Trump is meant to be at the UN uh, for three consecutive days, Monday through Wednesday, uh, making three speeches, including... Uh, his first appearance in the Security Council. And we have seen that the president is actually a master of controlling the narrative around big multilateral meetings. We saw that last year at the General Assembly, where his comments about Rocket Man in North Korea absolutely dominated the agenda. And we've seen it at G7 and NATO summits, where Trump's disruptive behavior really obscures any constructive diplomacy that is going on uh, in public or behind the scenes. So it is it is Trump, Trump, Trump. There is some other news. There's good work being done on peacekeeping. 
uh, and uh, some good work being done on public health. But I think they're going to be relegated quite low down the agenda by what the president says on Iran and what the president says on North Korea. I'd like to actually talk about those substantive issues, because as you said, they do tend to get drowned uh, drowned out by, you know, Trump, Trump, Trump. Um, but but let's talk uh, about Trump to, to kick off. Um, so as you said, he is uh, presiding, in fact, over a Security Council meeting. And this is kind of an interesting backstory here, I think. So it's almost a quirk of the calendar uh, that Trump will be presiding over a Security Council meeting. The presidency of the Security Council rotates month by month. And as it happens, the United States is the president of the Security Council for the month of September when UNGA uh, kicks off. And so the United States gets to set the agenda at the Security Council and call for a meeting when all the heads of state are in town. And there's sort of a curious backstory to what this meeting actually will will be. And I'm sure you've followed this this closely as I have. So why don't you explain what initially was this meeting to be about? Well, the the first um, readout from the U.S. was that the meeting would focus on Iran and this was obviously uh, quite worrying for a lot of other countries. Um, and I think especially perhaps the British and the French were, were worried that they were going to find themselves with Trump in a council meeting on Iran where their fundamental differences over the Iranian nuclear deal would be front and center. Mm-hmm. And deeper been- still, deeper still, right? Rouhani, the president of Iran, who will be in town, uh, would be would be invited to to speak at this meeting by a, a rule a bylaw of the Security Council. If a country is being discussed, a representative of that country is permitted to attend and address the meeting. So you had the potential of Rouhani and Trump sort of going face to face. Yeah, and so I think everyone was uh, quite concerned that this would uh, turn into a bit of a mess, and. Actually, on reflection, I think the U.S. recognized that it would be Trump who would come out looking bad because, firstly, he would look isolated from a lot of his allies in the Security Council. And secondly, Rouhani is a popular performer at the U.N. um, who would probably uh, seem more balanced um, in a face-to-face confrontation with the president. Mm -hmm. So in light of these concerns, the U.S. has rejigged the agenda and the meeting will now address non-proliferation issues more broadly. And, you know, that still includes Iran, but it also means that there will be discussions of uh, North Korea. Well, did you so, see the newest news that came out late last night from the Washington Post um, about how the White House was even disavowing that as the agenda item of the Security Council meeting. And in fact, it would now be something that's like far, far vaguer. Uh, let me actually read, read the, I, I wrote down like the, um, the, the exact new title of this meeting, which was, it's kind of nuts, but, um, it is. It, it is this. It's on quote, nonproliferation, constitutionalism, and sovereignty. Did you see that news? It, it broke kind of late last night. I um I had missed the addition of constitutionalism and sovereignty. Yeah. Uh, well, this this sounds like a an awful mishmash. Yes. Um, and I think that you know probably the main point of concern is that uh, Trump will not spend a lot of time discussing discussing the finer points of 
constitutional theory, but we'll go back and focus on Iran um, and possibly say something uh, about the Korean situation, which um, is, is highly unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it strikes me as very odd, frankly, that the U.S. Um, has got into this position um, in the Security Council. Uh, this is the sort of diplomatic issue that should have been prepared uh, in private over the summer and uh, not in public in the run-up to the the General Assembly itself. So it it looks a little amateurish. It it is uh, amateurish. I mean, it's really unprecedented. And I think, uh, you know, I have no sort of insights into what's going on between the White House and the U.S. mission to the United Nations, but it seems as if they are not exactly in in lockstep here and and they're not sort of communicating effectively with each other in order to to sort of put out this, this agenda. But one thing I'm sort of particularly sort of concerned about in this meeting is... Uh, you know Trump's volatile temperament uh, and and the way in which um, he doesn't seem to be able to stay on script very often, and this seems to be a moment in which one ought to stay on script. And I'm somewhat concerned that he'll think this Security Council meeting is sort of like his cabinet meetings, in which kind of each cabinet official goes around taking terms, complimenting and, and and praising Trump, but that's not quite how it works at the Security Council. And one wonders um, what. You know, if there is to be the kind of diplomatic blow up like there was at the G7, like there was at the NATO summit, it would happen in this meeting, I think. And it would happen as a consequence of this meeting in which there are some potentially unscripted moments. Yeah, I mean, let's let's keep in mind Trump will have appeared twice before he gets to the Security Council. Um, on Monday, he is uh, speaking at an event on the global drug problem with mm-hmm. other leaders. I think most people think that that is for a domestic audience. You know, this is probably an opportunity for the president to throw out a few sound bites about um, his tough line on the opioid crisis or on um, drugs gangs from Latin America. But I, I don't think anyone imagines that that will be a... Uh, a really dangerous diplomatic moment. Now, how he behaves on Tuesday is um, uh, more concerning. Tuesday is his main speech to the General Assembly. And of course, it was last year that he he really let fly um, in the General Assembly and uh, attacked uh, not only um, Kim, Kim Jong-un of North Korea in very personal terms, but also attacked the Iran deal and had some pretty harsh words on Venezuela too. And and so I, I think that everyone's going to be in a bit of a defensive crouch um, come Tuesday because they assume that he will uh, be similarly aggressive uh, this time round. It's worth keeping in mind that and the president isn't just thinking about how his General Assembly speech plays out for uh, foreign leaders, he's you know he's got his eyes on the midterm. He's going to be coming up with some zingers like his Rocket Man zinger last year that can get on Fox uh, Fox News and can light up Twitter. So Tuesday is um, a high risk day, but at least it's a, a speech from a podium, and he stick he stuck very closely to his script last time in the General Assembly, and I suspect that he will be similarly disciplined in the big uh, hall again. As you say, when you get into the Security Council, um, smaller space, um, still in public, 
uh, that's a much more personal interaction. It's much more like some of his uh, recent leader-to-leader meetings with the G7 and, and NATO counterparts. And it's in those smaller groups that he he does have a habit of um, becoming highly disruptive and highly personalized. And that is you know, that is why I think you're right to say it's the main source of concern. Um, and also why the U.S. is probably now trying to finesse the agenda to a point where everyone can be so bland that mm-hmm. no one offends each other. Well, that's exactly Which, after it. all, is, is yeah. the art of U.S. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and this actually really speaks to one of uh, the most telling quotes of, of anyone I've talked to in the run-up to, to Unga this year. Uh, a long-time UN watcher, someone you know but, but who will uh, remain anonymous, told me just yesterday um, that – you know, people around the UN are just trying to like figure out what Trump's triggers are and how to avoid them. She goes, it's a parlor game around here. You know, no one wants what um, happened at, at the G7 and in Canada and happened at NATO to happen at, at the UN. So people are just, you know, you know, treating him with as friendly kid gloves as possible. But as you said, it's sort of impossible in an unscripted situation like that Security Council meeting where you have a country like Bolivia, which I think will, will sort of seem probably like, uh, you know, be the one to more aggressively poke the bear than any others on that meet, on that council. Um, well, well, it's actually try to you know intentionally try to get under his skin but but you know who knows the one thing i would say on a more optimistic note is that trump seems to like the un now not in yes. um, yeah. policy terms the trump yeah. administration obviously has pulled out of multiple un treaties and the human rights council and so forth but he actually enjoyed um coming to New York last year. I mean, that was pretty clear from his performance and also a lot of the reporting that came out last year. For somebody who doesn't like going to NATO summits, he he sure as heck doesn't like going to... Um, the there are more authoritarians around the NATO uh, around around the UN than there are around NATO that he can cozy possibly, up to. And, and maybe, it's a, maybe it's as simple as the fact that it's in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's sparred with the UN... Uh, for for decades, I, I wrote a piece last year about how he had had battles with Kofi Annan over real estate on the east side of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he he seems to be more bonhomous when he comes to yeah. to the UN. And, and so you perhaps, saw that. Well, I should say, perhaps you we'll get, saw perhaps that. We'll get away with, yeah. away with it. So let's let's yeah. not assume there's going to be a crisis. No, but, you know, let's factor in that that risk. And I should say, last year was was totally fine. I mean, you know, yeah, he he had some like bellicose words towards North Korea, but in general, from a U.S. U.N. relationship, his uh, performance last year was as much as you can ask for um, from from a U.N. perspective. I mean, at, you know, every year there is a luncheon, um, and the first day of the general debate when when uh, leaders give their their speeches at the U.N. There's the United States as a host country, um, you know, invites people to a luncheon at, at the United Nations. And the U.S. gives a little toast, and he gave like a very, you know, gracious uh, toast to to Antonio Guterres and to the UN's great potential. Um, and you know, in general, he he comported himself just just fine, with with the exception of of that bellicose rhetoric against North Korea. So you know, we could have that kind of of repeat performance. It's just there's the driving fact, and, and it seems like the driving fact of, of U.S. foreign policy at the moment is just Trump's unpredictability, and that will seem to cloud every everything that happens at, at the U.N. in the coming week. I, yeah, I mean, it seems to me that he's more unpredictable on some things than others. Uh, actually, I think we can assume that 
even though the U.S. has toned down the focus on Iran, he's going to be tough on Iran. And to some extent, everyone will be will be braced for that. Uh, Rouhani is speaking actually quite soon after um, Trump at the General Assembly, and I'm sure he will put up a strong defense of the Iran deal. I suspect that the Europeans like Emmanuel Macron and um, Theresa May uh, will have worked out balanced positions, you know, defending the nuclear deal, but criticizing Iran's interference in countries like Syria. So, I mean, on Iran, we can expect some tough language, but it's manageable. I, th- I think the really, the really perplexing one is is North Korea. Uh, is Trump going to come back and express his frustration over the lack of progress in denuclearization talks, or is he going to um, is he going to really talk up his personal link with Kim Jong Un? Um, is he going to present himself? As a as a peacemaker and sort of throw out some words of praise for North Korea, we we just don't know, and that I think is probably making people pretty nervous. Um, I predict the latter, given given recent rhetoric that that he'll present himself as a great peacemaker with North Korea, despite the fact there's no no actual demonstrable progress on towards denuclearization on the ground. But um, that's, that's yeah. But there are some other variables. I mean, firstly, um, there's been a Korean leaders summit this week and there's been some there's been some talk of uh the, the South Koreans coming out of that and you know pushing the US to uh declare they'll move towards a a peace deal to end the the old Korean war which is a major symbolic thing that both north and south want that's something which you know if Trump's in a really good mood he could hook into conversely this Monday the U.S. convened a pretty acrimonious Security Council session where they set out information on how Russia has been breaking um, sanctions against Pyongyang. Uh, you know, Trump has been publicly frustrated by the fact that both China and Russia seem to be breaking the sanctions regime. And I mean, actually, for me, the worst the worst case scenario is that Trump sits in the Security Council and takes the Russians and Chinese uh, foreign ministers, who I think will be there, to task in person over these sanctions breaches. And um, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, I suspect, would take that on the chin. He's a he's a tough a tough cookie. Um, but I think that Beijing might see that as an awful breach of protocol and an awful offense, um, and that could really harm. Uh, U.S.-China cooperation on on North Korea going forward. Hmm. Interesting. That so that that's one of the key variables to watch. Okay, thank you. That that's very helpful. Um, so beyond the the Trump show, uh, let's talk about some of the substantive issues that that will also be discussed. And I, you know, I, I sort of tend to make those this, the 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 focus of my own coverage of the week on UN dispatch, talking about sort of what doesn't really make the headlines, but it was actual you know good stuff and and stuff that happens uh, beyond you know the the Trump show. One of these is a high level meeting on peacekeeping. Can you talk a bit about what that meeting is is all about and to sort of set the stage for that that meeting for us? Yes, I mean it's it's one of a number of uh, of side events um, taking place that are you know still at a, a high a, a top level um, politically around the General Assembly. Uh, the others, just quickly, are on tuberculosis, uh, non-communicable diseases. Um, there's a commemoration of Nelson Mandela 
I think this is the centenary of his birth. Um, no, so, you know, there will be lots of more positive um, discussions. The one that I personally have been focusing on um, is uh, precisely the one you mentioned, uh, the Action for Peacekeeping Initiative um, by Antonio Guterres. And, uh, you know, this is actually a nice example of uh, how UN diplomacy sometimes works um, and how the General Assembly actually can act as a, uh, a significant mechanism for getting countries to um, make some progress on, on policy questions. I mean, as you know, and as we've discussed in you know, multiple previous podcasts, uh, you know, UN peacekeeping is in a ropey state. Um, blue helmets are facing terrorist attacks in Mali. Uh, there's continuing violence in, in South Sudan. Uh, there's a lot of concern that elections at the end of this year in the Democratic Republic of Congo could... Um, uh, flare up into really serious violence, testing the peacekeepers there. So there's lots of things to worry about um, with the Blue Helmets. And uh, Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General, has been uh, pretty blunt um, with uh, the UN's membership saying, we're not getting the equipment we need, we're not getting the troops we need, and we're not getting the political support that we need. Um, Guterres is actually there picking up on complaints that his predecessor, Ban Ki-moon, um, also articulated uh, quite consistently towards the end of his, his term. Um, there have been lots of UN reform initiatives, um, UN peacekeeping reform initiatives over the years. Um, and the last five years, there's been a, a particular peak in discussions of, of talking about strengthening peace operations. But what the current initiative is doing is uh, pulling UN member states together to uh, make a political pledge. Um, it's about three or four pages of, of um, uh, specific commitments to give UN peace operations more political support, to ensure that troops are more disciplined, uh, to ensure that Security Council mandates are um, a clearer and um, more realistic, you know, lots and lots and lots of good things. Mm. Um, not not incredibly new ideas, but the fact that it's a high level political uh, commitment is significant. And, and, and it's probably worth pointing and, out and that just, just yeah. to say, because yeah, yeah. Guterres has got over a hundred countries to say they um, to sign on to these commitments, um, including the US. And lots of leaders and foreign ministers are going to be getting together on the Wednesday of the General Assembly week to to endorse these commitments. And, you know, that's it's, it's just a start. It doesn't mean that they'll implement any of them, but it's it's good diplomacy and it's been handled pretty well. And, and it sort of demonstrates the fact that these are high level commitments, right? Like these are presidents or foreign ministers that are standing before their peers saying, we are going to do X, we will you know, we, we, whatever that X is, but that X will be, you know, something in support of UN peacekeeping. And that I think is, is, is an important demonstration of solidarity toward for, for UN peacekeeping. And it's, you know, it's actually this, this kind of like theme of having these high level meetings to strengthen peacekeeping seemed to have started during the Obama era in which the U S was kind of the driving force behind um, 
these kind of pledging, you know, these kind of political pledging conferences that happen at the UN, whether it was Obama himself chairing a meeting or, or Biden chairing a meeting, which other countries would say they're doing something in, in support of, of UN peacekeeping to try to strengthen it. But it, it's sort of nice to see that this torch has been been carried and is, is, is still going forward. Because as you said, peacekeeping right now is facing a myriad of challenges, and it's helpful to have this kind of high-level support behind it. And it's also significant because, um, you know, intergovernmental discussions of peacekeeping in New York are, um, you know, they're not always very collegial, to put it, to put it mildly. Um, you know, the, the most recent um, negotiations on the UN peacekeeping budget, which took place this summer, um, sort of became absolutely absurd with uh, countries arguing over, um, you know, who should supply the diesel generators and who was making money out of supplying diesel generators to UN peacekeeping missions. It, you know, these talks get very, very petty. Um, diplomats can sort of lose sight of the big picture. And what the UN Secretariat has done in preparing for for the Action for Peacekeeping event uh, has been to get a lot of diplomats together in various different working groups and, and talking talking groups and so I've actually got everyone you know, surprisingly on the same page uh, about identifying what the problems of, of peace operations are. And you know, even if the even if the event next week is not going to change the world, I've been I've been positively struck that suddenly you hear UN peacekeeping officers talking in a very very similar way to their European counterparts, to their African and Asian counterparts about how they need to get together to, to really fix issues like discipline. And um, just breaking down some of that mistrust and just focusing people on, on the big picture uh, is, is really important because otherwise we get trapped in, in really petty battles about, um, you know, some pretty expensive and pretty high stake uh, blue helmet missions. Will there be some sort of outcome document from this meeting? Yeah. And actually it's, it's online already. You can find the, um, uh, you can find the uh, the action for peacekeeping, the A4P uh, commitments um, already on uh, the UN website, and you know maybe we can we can add the link to that um, uh, yeah, to, sure. to this to this podcast for, for the true but, nerds who want to uh, read the A4P outcome document. We, we got you covered. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's not um, uh, it's not going to rival. Um, the Da Vinci Code uh, as a as a thrilling read, um, but it's you know it's solid stuff and credit credit where it's due. Um, the UN Secretariat and a lot of missions, uh, the Dutch, Cote d'Ivoire, various others, got together and really worked on getting a text that has some substance. But um, you know, as I say, like probably by the end of the day, two thirds of the UN membership uh, will sign up to. China and Russia had expressed quite a lot of skepticism about this initiative early on, um, but they seem to have broadly accepted that it's uh, it's all right. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a period where, as, as we said at the outset, everything is Trump, 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 everything is extremely tense within the UN over, uh, um, you know, over, over Syria, over Iran, over Yemen. Uh, it's 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 good to see that you can still do some solid diplomatic spade work about helping other countries in crisis, such as the Congo or, um, or the Sudan. 
Now we could leave it there, or is there anything else you think we uh, you, you might want to touch on? We might want to mention. No, as, I mean, as I say, there are. I think there are other useful initiatives going on, and useful discussions of um, uh, of climate and development issues that I, I follow less less closely than um, than I should. Um, let me uh, let me use this as an opportunity to advertise some of the um, the work that. My colleagues at the UNU Center for Policy Research um, are, are going to be promoting uh, during the the high level week. Um, Plug away. My colleagues, my colleagues <laughs> have um, developed a really amazing website, um, uh, online platform um, of information about modern slavery, uh, called the the Delta 8.7 website, um, which is relates back to the sustainable development goals and um, 8.7 the the goal and target related to slavery exactly okay um and they're they're actually promoting some uh some some new work around modern slavery and forced forced labor too um yeah maybe we can we can put the link up uh link up for that too it shall be done Um, and so you know that you know it's worth you know it is worth remembering that in the margins of of these High-level gabfest. There's a huge amount of um, of good good work being being put out there, and, and yeah. sort of uh, helping helping to make the world a little bit yeah. Little bit better, and and but. you know, and and like I said at the outset, like you know, the, the Trump show, and and which has we you know, in every unga, there's always like a sideshow, right? Whether it's like Gaddafi or Ahmadinejad in in, in years past, but the sort of sad. Um, the, the the sad uh, sort of facet of of the the Trump administration is like the main show is the sideshow now with with Trump like will he won't he say this will he do this will he do that um, that kind of blow that that has the potential to sort of dominate the the media narrative and the media coverage but as you said it's it's sort of important especially I think for people like us who have like these kind of specialized focus to to remind people that there is actual good stuff happening behind the scenes that. Um, is meant to uplift humanity, and, and I'm glad we're able to talk about that. I um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true. I mean, it. No, I mean, you know, the sort of the the Castros, the Gaddafis, the Chavez um, speeches used to be what made um, the General Assembly fun. Uh, unfortunately, as you say, it's now the the U.S. president who is sort of. Um, Doing the carnival type uh, speeches, but um, I, you know, I, I sort of I remain mildly optimistic that the UN system is sort of getting through this era as, as best it as best it can, and um, it's really important that we should sort of support efforts around. Um, peacekeeping or you know fighting massive human rights uh abuses like like modern slavery um to show that this is still a system that can deliver uh and i don't think that's the message that people will take away from this general assembly i think they'll just take away whatever trump says but um let's keep in mind that uh multilateralism can deliver too all right. Well, thank you so much, Richard, as always, and uh, hope to hope to see you at Unga. It's the place to be. All right. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks. 
All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Richard. And uh, hope to see you uh, or in New York, uh, the halls of the UN or in various side events uh, around New York this coming week. Uh, come say hi. I will right, we'll see you soon. Bye.